Good morning, my name is Leanne. Our second Bible reading this morning is from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 1 to 18. You can read along in your pew Bible if you like. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. And then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realise that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. Thanks, Leanne. Uh, my name's Ollie. I'm one of the ministers of our church. It's great to be with you this morning, and a uh, happy Easter to you. It'd be great if you could keep your Bible open. We'll be working through that passage. And if you're a note taker or you'd like to follow on the outline, uh, there's an outline in your handout. But as we begin, I'm going to pray, so please pray with me. Gracious God, we thank you for Easter, that we can gather to celebrate the resurrection today. Quieten our hearts and minds now as we come before your word. May we respond rightly through the power of your spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's not that I'm afraid to die, I just don't want to be there when it happens. That's a quote by the the famous comedian Woody Allen, he says, uh, it's not that I'm afraid to die, I just don't want to be there when it happens. So that's one take on death, isn't it? It's not scared of it, just doesn't want to be there for it. Uh, This is another take on death, I have a positive approach to death, I'm positive that I'm going to die. Uh, So that's by uh, a musician, Greg Tamblin. Uh, What about this one? This is another take on death. When I die, I want my body to be donated for research, but more specifically to a scientist who's working on bringing dead bodies back to life. 
That's a bit of another take on death, isn't it? There's all sorts of different takes on death, and they're obviously a little bit silly, a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but it begs the question, what's your take on death? Have you ever spent much time thinking about death? I've actually realised the older I've gotten, the more I've started thinking about death. When I was younger, I didn't think about it much at all. But as I've got older, as my body started ageing, as my knee hurts, as my ankle hurts, as my shoulder hurts, as my back hurts, as all my body hurts, I've started thinking about death more. As I've seen loved ones die, I've started thinking about death more. And as I've thought about it more, I've realised what an enemy death is. Now, sometimes you hear people say that death is just a natural thing, it's just a natural part of life, but it's not. Death is not natural. Death is an enemy, an enemy that destroys and devours, that decays and that disintegrates. Death is always obscene, always traumatic, always ugly. Death is your greatest enemy, and it's your greatest enemy because it steals away the ones you love. It rips them from your arms. I still remember losing my grandpa. He was the first person that I knew well to die. And I, uh, I used to get on well with him. He was a carpenter. I used to be a woodwork teacher. And so we used to spend a lot of time out in his wood, woodworking shed uh, doing projects together. He also barracked for Melbourne in the football, and as do I. And so we used to listen to Melbourne on the, fo- on the radio, playing in the football, making things together and having a good time. I have quite fond memories of that. I also have other fond memories of playing golf with him, of eating Maccas, of playing board games, of having sleepovers as a kid. And they're all great memories, and I, I think back quite fondly of those. But death stole away the possibility to make more memories. Death took him and took him away from me. That is what death does, and that is why death is your greatest enemy. And I'm sure that you can think of people that death has stolen away from you as well. Your grandma or your grandpa, your mom or your dad, your brother or your sister, your aunt or your uncle, your friend, or maybe even your child. There's very few things worse in this world than a parent having to bury their child. Death is the greatest enemy there is. And not only does death steal away your loved ones, death will also come for you. See, comedians might try, and, might try and kind of make light of it. Well, I'm not afraid of death, I just don't want to be there when it happens. But in reality, there's nothing funny about death. There's nothing light about death. Death is an atrocity. And that's why then, Easter is such a joyous time. Because the story of Easter says, not that death is the end, but that this is the end of death. And isn't that what we long for? The end of death. When we lose our best friend in a car accident, when we watch a loved one fading away from a sickness, when we feel that ache inside of us of knowing we'll never get to spend time with our grandparents again. And when we realise that each one of us has a ticking clock hanging over our head, counting down the years and the months and the days and the minutes until we die too. When you experience that, don't you long for the end of death? Well, that's what Easter is all about. And so today we're going to do two things. 
Uh, we're going to look at this story that tells us all about the end of death. And once we've looked at that, we'll then reflect, we'll answer the question, well, what does this mean for me? Why is this actually the most incredible thing that has ever happened in the history of the world for me? And so let's get into it. Our story starts with Mary, and she's feeling the punch of that great enemy, death. And she's one of the best friends of Jesus. In Luke's gospel, we hear that Jesus cast demons out of her, and then she followed him around as one of his uh, followers. And in fact, she was such a great friend of Jesus that while all of the other disciples ran away while Jesus was hanging on the cross, she was still there. She was at the foot of the cross, witnessing firsthand the brutal murder of her dear friend. She watched as he struggled up there with nails in his hands. She watched as they cast lot for his, lots for his clothing and, and mocked him. She watched as he cried out, Father, forgive them. And then she watched as he drew his final breath and gave up his spirit. See, Mary was watching. She was there watching as that great enemy death claimed one of her best friends. And now here she is a few days later with the weight of that sadness still weighing down on her soul. And in this state of gloom and of grief, she stumbles to the tomb that morning and through tear-stained eyes, she sees the last thing in the world that she would have expected. Have a look at verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Now, the way they used to bury people in those times was they'd they'd get a cave, uh, they'd make a stone, and that stone would kind of roll in front of the door to protect the, the dead body there from animals coming in and eating them. And what she sees as she arrives is that stone rolled aside. The grave opened up. Imagine how shocked she would be seeing that. Because we have to remember that she was not expecting this. This is not what the disciples, the followers of Jesus, were expecting were going to happen. And so what she thinks then is that someone's stolen the body. And in fact, that's what she does. She, with tears of frustration and powerlessness, she runs to find the other disciples of Jesus and she tells them someone has taken Jesus' body. And so we see then two of the disciples, Peter and the disciple Jesus loved, which is John, the author of this gospel. And they go to investigate. Uh, This is a painting by a man called Eugene Bernand. And it's called Peter and John running to the tomb. And I really love this painting. I love how it kind of captures what it might have looked like on that morning. The the expectation, the, the little bit of worry, the bit of uncertainty. Then wondering, is it true? Is it true? Is this what's happened? Is the tomb empty? And as they run to the tomb, uh, John arrives first. And I love how he says that he makes that note that he arrived first. He just wants everyone throughout all of history to know he's faster than Peter. And so he made it there first. But when he arrives, he doesn't go in. He looks in, but he doesn't go in. Peter finally arrives and you can imagine he's huffing and he's puffing and he pushes past John and he goes into the tomb and then he stops dead in his tracks. The body is gone. The tomb's empty. Have a look at verses 6 and 7. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. 
Imagine the shock. I mean, he's heard it from Mary already, but there's something about seeing it with his own eyes. He's, he's stumped. He doesn't know what to make of it. The body should be there, but it's not. John then eventually summons the courage to go into the tomb to have a look as well. But did you notice what happens when he goes in? Have a look at verse 8. Finally, the other disciple, which is John, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. He sees the empty tomb and it clicks for him. All of those things that Jesus had said through his ministry, all of the Old Testament prophecies, they finally start to make sense. He realizes Jesus has beaten that great enemy, death. Just like he said he would. This is the end of death. But you might be wondering, well, why is that the conclusion he jumps to? Why doesn't he just assume that someone has stolen the body? I think it's for two reasons. Firstly, this is exactly what Jesus said would happen. Uh, for example, in Mark 9, this is what Jesus says. The Son of Man, which is, this is Jesus speaking, and that's his title for himself. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise again. But the disciples did not understand what Jesus meant and were afraid to ask him about it. See, well before the events that took place here, Jesus said, this is exactly what would happen. He said he'd be killed, and then three days later he'd rise again. At the time, the disciples didn't quite get it, but now, standing in the empty tomb, John looks and he believes. With the benefit of hindsight, he understands what Jesus was talking about. See, if Jesus had never predicted this would happen, I'm sure John would have just thought someone had stolen the body. But seeing as Jesus predicted exactly this down to the exact number of days, the timing of everything, he rightly realizes this is not someone stolen the body, this is Jesus come to life again. So that's the first reason. I think the second reason is because of the linen and the cloth. To understand that, it's helpful to know what Jewish burial practices were like in those times. They didn't embalm the dead like the Egyptians. They didn't cremate the dead like the Greeks and the Romans. What they did instead was they wrapped the body in linen strips, but not the whole body. They left the face, they left the neck, and they left the upper shoulders bare. And so the strips were around the body. But then around the head, they put a, a different strip that was a little bit like a turban. And so now, that's all important because of how the, the cloths here are described. As John comes in, he sees the linen and the strips lying in their place, separate from each other, just like they would be if the body was there. But the body's not there. It's like it's been lifted up. It's somehow disappeared through the cloths. And now the cloths have sunk and are left in their place. And John sees this and he realizes Jesus has risen. And that's why he realizes this is the end of death. Someone has defeated that great enemy, death. The story then returns to Mary. For her, it hasn't clicked yet. And so she still thinks someone's stolen the body. And so understandably, she's distraught. As we would be if we were, imagine going to the grave site of your loved one. Imagine going there and seeing the earth all churned up, a big hole in the ground, the coffin there open and discarded. If we saw that, then we'd be shocked, we'd be, we'd be sickened. And that's how Mary is feeling. 
And as she's standing there, stricken with grief, she looks into the tomb. She sees two figures. They ask her why she's crying, and her answer is quite heartbreaking. Have a look at verse 13. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. In her words there, we perhaps hear the culmination of the last few days. She doesn't just mean that they've taken the physical body. I think taken away my Lord also includes the murder and the torture of the cross. Death has taken away her Lord from her. And isn't that what death does? It tears people away from us, whether that's the friend in the car crash, whether that's the baby in the womb, whether that's the parents before their time, or the grandparents who you wish you had more time to spend with. See, we can hear in Mary the tears of grief that have fallen from our own eyes too, because death takes away our loved ones. But that's why what follows is so joyous, because Jesus appears and asks why she's sad. But in her overwhelming distress, she somehow doesn't seem to click that this is actually Jesus, the one she's mourning about, has returned. Have a look at verses 14 and 15. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. She thinks he's the gardener, and all she wants is to see the body of Jesus again. It's it's heartbreaking, such a simple request that seems so far away. But he's not dead, and he's standing right there. This is the end of death, and he simply says her name. And at that moment, it clicks. She realizes Jesus is here. There's a quote from a a book I like, Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People, and the quote says this, a person's name is to that person the sweetest and most important sound in any language. And how true that must have been for Mary that morning when Jesus said her name, it must have been the sweetest and most important sound she'd ever heard. And as he says her name, Her eyes are opened, her heart skips a beat, and the tears dry up. Imagine that feeling, such deep, overwhelming sadness turned instantly to joy. The relief of death being undone, someone back from the grave. That's what Mary experiences, the end of death. And praise God for that. And so that's the story. That's the story of Easter. But you might be thinking, well, I get that he came back from the dead, And that's good for him, and that's good for those who knew him. But I'm not him, and that was 2,000 years ago. So what does that have to do with me? And it's a great question, and in fact, it's the question that we need to answer. And what is the answer? Why does this matter so much for us? Well, it's because the end of death for one means the end of death for us. Jesus defeated that great enemy death so that we too can have life. In fact, that is the whole purpose of why Jesus came. At the end of our chapter, in verses 30 and 31, uh, this is what it says. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, 
you may have life in His name. See, the whole point of the Bible, the whole point of this being recorded is that we might believe that Jesus is God's Son and that by believing, we too might have life, eternal life. That is what Jesus came to do, to defeat death, not just for Himself, but also for those who believe in Him. This is the hope of Easter. And so maybe as you sit here, you can't stop thinking about the loved one that you've lost, just like Mary. And you realize there's nothing you can do to get them back. And that, that is a feeling of hopelessness. Or maybe as you sit there, you know that you are dying. Maybe you've been given the diagnosis of a terminal disease and it's only a matter of time. But even if that's not you, we all have that clock hanging over our head, counting down, ticking down the hours and the minutes and the seconds until we too die. But this is the hope of Easter. Jesus has defeated death for you. It's not just the end of death for him. Because the end of death for one means the end of death for us. I was chatting to a friend recently and I really love how he put this. He said that the message of Easter turns goodbyes into see you laters. Now we might think that goodbye and see you later are the same thing. They sound really similar, but they're not actually the same thing. Goodbye is quite a final thing, it's a farewell. Where see you later acknowledges exactly what the words say, that is, we will see that person again. And so if you are a Christian, then there's no such thing as goodbyes. It's always a see you later, because we will see people again later, in heaven, in the eternal life given by Christ. And how great is that? Doesn't that change everything? For the grieving husband, mourning the loss of his wife, that isn't a goodbye. It's only a see you later. They'll meet again because Jesus has defeated death. For parents grieving at their baby's funeral, that isn't goodbye. It's only a see you later. They'll meet again because of Jesus' death. For children shattered by the untimely death of a parent, that isn't a goodbye. It's only a see you later because they'll meet again because Jesus has defeated death. For the friends who lost their best mate in a car crash, that isn't a goodbye. It's only a see you later. They'll meet again because Jesus has defeated death. So thank you, God, for see you laters. But if you don't love Jesus, if you haven't believed in Jesus, then it is goodbye because it's not the end of death for you. It's only for those who believe in Jesus. And I don't want that for you. There's, there's something better. Don't miss out on this thing that is so much better. Turn your goodbyes into see you laters. If that's you today, then don't leave today without thinking about this. Without thinking about how you can find out more. We'd love you to actually, so that you can, can hear of what Jesus has done and that you too might believe, so that you too might have life. Uh, to help with that, we'll be running a course in a few weeks' time. You would have got a handout. It's called Christianity Explored. It's a four-week course to come along and look at the evidence that shows who Jesus is, that He is the Son of God and that He has defeated death. So why not consider coming along to that so that you too might hear He's the Son of God, you might believe He's the Son of God and that you might have your goodbyes turned in to see you later. 
Once we close, let me share a story of a friend of a friend. His name was Shane. Uh, life was going well for Shane. So just a, a fairly normal guy in his mid-40s, the prime of his life. He had a loving wife. He had a five-month-old son. He had a blossoming career. But sadly, with life going so well, Shane was diagnosed with cancer. Imagine that. Imagine knowing that you're going to die, that you're never going to see your young son grow up, that you're never going to get to grow old with your wife, that you're never going to get to achieve all of your hopes and dreams for life. It's terrible. But despite that, Shane was a man who lived with incredible hope because of the message of Easter. Because he knew that Easter is the end of death. He believed in Jesus and he knew of the eternal life that he had. That even when his physical body died, he'd be at home with Jesus. And he realized that therefore leaving this world wasn't a goodbye. It was only a see you later. It wasn't a goodbye to his wife or to his five-month-old son. It wasn't a goodbye to his parents or to his siblings or to his friends. It wasn't a goodbye at all. It's only a see you later. And what that meant was that he was able to go through his battle with cancer without fear. He was able to go to all of the doctor's visits. He was able to go through chemo. He was able to stare death in the face without fear. In fact, he was so fearless that it shocked the doctors. Uh, just a few weeks before he passed away, he's at a doctor's appointment and his wife had to duck out for a moment to change their young son's nappy. And while, he was, while, while she was gone, the oncologist said to him, all right, your wife is gone now. You don't need to put on a brave face anymore. Tell me what you're scared of. Tell me what you're anxious about and worried about. But you know what Shane said? He said, I'm not fearful. I'm not worried. I'm not anxious about anything to do with my cancer. I'm not scared of dying. How incredible is that? How can he say that in the face of cancer and of death? It's because of the hope of Easter. It's because he knew this is the end of death. And the dying wasn't a goodbye. It was only a see you later. And you know what? His hope is the same hope that we can have. My grandpa was a Christian, so when he died, it actually wasn't a goodbye to him. It was only a see you later. When your loved ones die, if they're Christians, it is not a goodbye. As sad as it might be in the short term, it is not a goodbye. That's only a see you later. And when our time comes and we die, it is not a goodbye. It's only a see you later. See, Woody, Woody Allen says, it's not that I'm afraid to die. I just don't want to be there when it happens. Well, the reality is that we will be there when it happens because it is our death. But we still don't need to be afraid. And we don't need to be afraid because of Easter. Because we have a saviour who has defeated death for us. And that turns goodbyes into see you later. And praise God for Easter. In fact, I'm going to close by praying and thanking God for Easter. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this story of the end of death. We thank you that in your wonderful salvation plan, you sent your son who lived and died for us and who then rose again on that first Easter Sunday nearly 2,000 years ago. And we thank you that because he rose and has defeated death, now there is that offer for us, the offer of life, the offer that death will be done away with. And would you help us to take hold of that offer? 
and just be at work in our hearts, softening our minds that we might cling to Jesus. We thank you that for those who do believe in him as your son, we thank you that that is the end of death, that death is not a goodbye, it's only a see you later. We thank you for the encouragement that gives us, the hope that gives us when loved ones pass away and when we're facing death. And we thank you for that. And would today be a joyful day as we reflect constantly across the day on the wonderful fact that this is the end of death. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.